Somebody once said, the best is yet to come. The best. Uh, somebody, sometimes, one person asked me what I said, Brother Susan, what was the best message you ever preached? My answer is always the same. My next one. Because <laughs> if I already preached my best one, where do you go from there, right? So my, my, my next one. Uh, it's nice, uh, beautiful day today, wasn't it? And it's nice to be in the Sunday night. I can't tell you how many Sunday nights I've been here preaching on a Sunday night, usually in January. And look out the window and see the snow come. <laughs> and see the snowfall. But uh, today was just beautiful. But uh, hang on. Winter's not over yet. We just got to get some more January to go and, and February and who knows what March does. And April sometimes gives us a surprise, doesn't it? Uh, but only one, one good thing is when it snows that late in the spring, it doesn't last long. When it starts snowing in November, you're, we're in trouble. And then it just stays uh, for so, so many months. Have your Bibles this evening. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew once more, chapter number 6. When I first started in the ministry, I began contemplating about how many sermons I would be preaching as a pastor. And uh, I was astonished. I said, well, I have to have a, sun, a Sunday school, Sunday morning, that's three every Sunday. Then the midweek, that's four. And I thought, how in the world am I going to come up with that many sermons? You know, I was just a young preacher. And uh, now in a time of my life when I said, I don't believe I could preach. I have enough time to preach all that God laid upon my heart and all that is in the scriptures. So uh, tonight we're going to look at the passage of scripture that is uh, interesting, uh, thought-provoking, but also I hope to be encouraging. Uh, have you ever felt like you were in big trouble? <laughs> yeah. uh, I always knew when I was in big trouble when my mother would call me, Daniel Anthony? I knew I was in big trouble then. Yes, I, uh, and uh, I heard about this young boy who was in a Christian school, and he was always mischievous and got into some trouble and everything. And uh, one day he did something, and he was sent again to the principal's office. And the principal sat him down, and the principal was a big guy, stern, one of those deep, deep voices. Know what I mean? And he looked at him, and he says, Tommy, where is God? How many I said, where is God? The Tommy just began to shake. He stood up and ran out the hall, ran out the school, ran all the way home, went into his room and, and shut the door and began packing his bags. His brother came in and said, Tommy, what's wrong with you? He said, I've never been to this kind of trouble before. God's missing and they think I have them. But the truth is, I mean, sometimes we do get in trouble. And I don't have to convince you tonight that the world is in trouble. We live in a troublesome world. In Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's start with, uh, let's look at verse number 31. These are the words of our Savior. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherever thought should we be clothed? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take care for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In another passage of scripture, Jesus made this statement. And I don't care about the depth of your spirituality, and it makes no difference to me how learned you are in the scriptures, or maybe even an unbeliever. You'll have to agree with this statement that Jesus made. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Do we agree with that tonight? In the world, you shall have tribulation. Jesus said, expect problems in this world. This world certainly is not a friend for Christians, uh, not a friend of Christians, uh, we're, we're not of this world. Uh, and Jesus knew what he was talking about. Ruth Jones, I don't know if that name means anything to you. Ruth Jones came to a time in her life when she realized the times we live in were perilous. And she wrote these words. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And the rest of the song and the refrain says, this rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. As I stop again and think of 2020, as we mentioned this morning, our God's given us a, another year, another opportunity. 2019 has passed with all of its failures and it's passed with all of its blessings. And I can't live on yesterday's blessings. I need blessings every day. I can't live on yesterday's victories. I need victories every day in our life. But 2019 is past, and we are now in 2020. In Matthew chapter 13, and verse number 58, a statement is made that's very striking to me. And it talks about the ministry of Jesus. And it says, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The great God was limited in a sense that he could not do great works among those people. He wanted to. He longed to. He had a plan to. But folks were not interested in exercising their faith. And because they did not have faith, Jesus did not do great works. Why doesn't God do great works in your life? Could it be because of a lack of faith? Oh, he said, well, I have faith. Well, how much faith do you really have? And do you exercise that faith? You say, well, God's not working in my life like in might and in power. He didn't work there because of their unbelief. Now, God gave promises back in our first passage of Scripture they're providing for all that we need. Uh, we worry 
many times about how we're going to put food on the table. We worry sometimes how we're going to pay the rent. We worry sometimes how we're going to buy clothes. If you're in college, you worry about paying your school bill. How am I going to pay my school bill? But you're not alone, students, in that. Your parents also worry about it. The Bible says God knows all about that. He knows everything you need, even if you're not aware of it. And not only does God give promises to meet those needs, but those promises must have certain conditions. Because Jesus said, yes, your heavenly father knows you have all of these and he'll give you the food, he'll give you the clothes, he'll give you the, uh, the, the, the remnant that we need in our life. But the condition is, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Then all these things should be added unto you. We want to get the added before the seeking. And we need to seek first the kingdom of heaven. We need to put God first in our everyday life and in our everyday living. Uh, you've come to church today, and God bless you for that. I appreciate that and the faithfulness of, your of you people. My mind goes back over the years and seeing so many of you years ago, and you're still here. Now, I will admit some of you did change seating order in the church, and, but, you're, but you're still here. And that's faithfulness. And God says, I will provide for you. But there's a condition on our end. Put God first and seek the kingdom of heaven uh, first. Now, let me ask you, do, do you have confidence in God? Do you have confidence in, in the Lord? Do you believe he will supply all your needs? And folks, there's a difference between what you need and what you want. <laughs> Most of us think we need this. Oh, I got to have the latest iPhone. Oh, I have to have the latest and biggest TV. Oh, I have to have the latest uh, fashion garment. Oh, I have to have accessories, jewelry accessories, and a fine watch. But really what we need sometimes is much more simpler than that, isn't it? Do you have confidence that God can provide that in, in your life? Philippians, Paul says in Philippians, I have learned whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. He also says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by, by, Christ, by Christ Jesus, you say. Uh, Psalm 121 verse 4 uh, talks about God and and and. and and in that psalm and in that verse, it says, He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And there was this dear saint of God, and she had a lot of problems in her life, a lot of turmoil, family problems, difficulties, hardships. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just hard to sleep under circumstances like that. And she was tossing, and she was turning, and she couldn't get any rest. And finally, she got out of bed and put the light on and opened to the scriptures and came to that psalm and saw he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And she said, well, Lord, <laughs> I guess if you're going to be up all night, no use of both of us staying awake. I'm going back to bed and let you worry about this. Confidence in God just that way. We need confidence in God. 
We need that God is able to provide for our needs. But you know what? We need confidence in ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about the extreme. I don't need God. I can do anything. I, I, I actually have to. I don't need God. I'm a self-made man. You know, and I don't need God. I'm not talking about that type of arrogance and confidence. But neither am I talking about the other extreme. I can do nothing, and I'm no good, and I have no talent, and I have no abilities, and I, everything I try, I fail. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about realizing that the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthened, which strengtheneth me. Now, I want you to notice some of the fake Bibles that are out there. If you have one, it's in your Bible. I don't think anybody here would have one. But if you do, it, it translates that verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No, he doesn't give you strength. He strengthens you. There's a big difference between the two. He strengthens. You are the object of the strength that he gives. It's not external, and he gives it to you to take it or to leave it, but he strengthens you. And do you realize you could do everything God wants you to do? And God certainly has a job for you to do. I'm so thankful for our brothers this morning in Sunday school. What a blessing to sit under. If you haven't been in Sunday school, you ought to come. He's got tremendous lessons in Isaiah as we're going through that. And he went through that this morning. Great Bible truths, great Bible teaching. But how do you get strengthened in the Lord? You get strengthened in the Lord through the word of God. Now, I suppose you could say, well, I don't know. I have nothing to teach these people. I lived a long time. I'm all worn out. He's still going. God bless him. I'm not going to ask him how old he is, but he's old. <laughs> and you know, folks, the best part about getting old, the older you get, you get proud of it. <laughs> I'll never forget 92-year-old lady come up to me with this. Bro, Susan, I'm 92 years old. <laughs> she was pretty proud of it, and I was proud for her. But we need confidence in ourselves that we're here for a plan and we're here for a purpose. And we're not just to aimlessly wander around and seek this or we'll maybe try this and maybe try that. And I'll try this over here. No, get God's will for your life and say, this is what God wants me to do. But God, I need your help. And have confidence in yourself that God can use you and not to uh, wimp out. You know what? We need confidence in others as well. You need to have confidence in your pastor. That he's the God-called man here. Now, uh, people say, well, you know, uh, he's just like one of us. He's no well, in some sense, you're right. He's a sinner saved by grace, just like you. He got saved the same way you got saved. He mows his lawn just like you got to mow your lawn. And in some respects, you are all the same. But God has given him a position that he didn't give to you. God's given him a position in the church that's not given to everybody else. Now, some people want to be the pastor from the pew, you know. But we have to have confidence that this is God's man, and this is the man that God brought to us and to sit under his ministry. 
uh, there. And, 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 and he's the man of God for you, you say. You need to have confidence uh, in him and, 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 and to pray for him. You need to have confidence in the leadership of the church and whether you have deacons or trustees, whatever it might be. You need to have confidence. If you're always uh, looking for something and always looking to find fault, I mean, you're going to find it. Yes, we're all human. Yes, we will make mistakes. I had people tell me, so you know, Brother Susan, you used a, dead, a double negative in the pulpit today. <laughs> That's all you get out of the message? Man preaches his heart out. Seeks to exalt Jesus Christ as a savior. And you're concerned about a double negative. You need to have confidence in, in others. Husbands, you need to have confidence in your wife. Your wife, you got a godly wife, a godly woman in your life. You need to have confidence in her. I value the opinion of my wife. I don't always follow it, but I value <laughs> the opinion of my wife. And when she says, you know, honey, maybe it might be better, I listen. I listen. And wives, you need to have confidence in your husband. He's the spiritual leader of the home. He's, the, he's under God over you in the home. Now, I know that's not popular preaching today. Well, I'm going to submit myself to no man. Look what the world got us. Look where that attitude has led us today. Is the world happier today? There's more anger. There's more hatred. Uh, there's, there's more problems than we ever had before. Can you leave God out? The devil's going to move in. And why do you need to have confidence in your husband's husband? I remember when I had pastored for 12 years, and my wife was at the kitchen sink, and I had to talk to her. And I said to her, I said, honey, I... I think I'm going to be leaving the church as pastor. I didn't know what her reaction was going to be. I didn't know. She's also, since we've been married, I've been a pastor outside of the first year uh, when I finished up Bible college. She's always been a pastor's wife. I don't know how she was going to feel about it, but I felt a strong leading of God to leave that of the pastor and go into this field of evangelism that I'm currently in and have been now for about 38 years. And I'll never forget her words. She says, I don't care what you do as long as you follow God. That's confidence. And in today's day and age, what do we need? We need confidence in God. We need confidence in ourselves. And we need confidence in each other. Young people, you need confidence in your parents. You say, well, you know, they don't know as much as I do. Well, just wait a little bit and you'll find out how much they really do know. You know, when a child, oh, my dad knows everything. Then he grows up as a teenager and says, he don't know as much as I thought he'd know. <laughs> then he gets a little older and says, he don't know nothing. <laughs> Then they get out into the real world and have their family says, you know, my dad was the smartest man in the world. You need to have confidence. If you have parents that follow God, that want to do right, all right, they're going to make mistakes, yes. And humble is the parent that will acknowledge that. And more than once I had to say to my kids, I'm sorry. Daddy treated you bad. I'm sorry I had a bad attitude about that. But we need to have, you need to have confidence in your parents. If they're following God, 
trust their leadership. They're, they're, they're under the Lord. It's easy to find faults because we're, because we're, all, we're all people here. But nonetheless, we need to have that type of confidence. You know what else we need today? Not just confidence, but contentment. Whew. Now, there's a difference between being content and being satisfied. They're not the same. They're very similar, but they're not the same. Paul suffered many things, didn't he? Many things. Look, he was uh, stoned by his own countrymen. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bit thrown into prison. He was beaten. He, I mean, he had a lot of troubles and a lot of problems in his life. How can he be content like that? Just over a year ago, I was in Rome, and we went to the prison where Paul was being held when he went to Rome. Uh, it's really a hole in the ground, a cave in the ground. Uh, just a hole at the top. There was no way out except the hole, no way in except through that hole. And there was a, Now, for us tourists, they built a staircase <laughs> going down to it. And we walked down that staircase, and there I stood in the very cavern prison that Paul was held. I saw the rock that he sat on in the middle, almost like a table in a sense. I saw the same rocks and stone wall that he saw. I looked up through the hole, the only daylight that would come through. And we have in our Bible what we call the prison epistles. These were the letters written by Paul while he was in jail. And what does he say in the book of Philippians? Joy. What's the theme of the book of Philippians? Joy. And he says, I have learned, as I mentioned before, I have learned whatsoever state I am with in, therewith to be content. Can you be content in jail like that? Falsely accused for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you be content in a world of discontent today? But I want you to know, and first, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, something else about contentment here. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, and verse number 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you contented? Or is there an uneasiness in you? Are you contented? Do you have peace? Or is there a turmoil? In your life. Now I want you to notice the verse carefully. He said. Godliness. <laughs> Godliness with contentment. Godliness precedes it. Are you godly? Are you godly in your life? We're told to be godly. We sang this morning. One of the hymns that we sung this morning was. Holy, holy, holy. And did not God say, be ye holy, for I am holy? Are we a holy people? Now, that does not mean we go around in some sectimonious tone. I'm holy. I'm holy. doesn't mean that at all. We preached this morning on the leaves of the tree, didn't we? You could have all of that without the reality. But godliness 
with contentment. Paul said, that's, now he's writing this from the jail. He's writing this from the prison. Or it would be that 2020 we'd be godly and have contentment. Now, we need to be content with God. Are you content with the Lord's will for your life? Mention that again this morning. Are you content with how God's leading you? You say, well, I don't like this path that God's bringing me down. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you could trust God with your soul, don't you think you could trust him with your life? So I see young people tonight, some of you are Bible college students. God bless you, brother. But what about other young, young people tonight? Are you contentment to let God direct your plans? I always tell young people, I always stress to them, you ought to give God one year of your life after high school. The Israeli army, every man after school serves in the military. Have to. No, nobody gets out of it. The Mormons have a policy. Upon graduation from high school, you serve two years as missionaries in the Mormon church. What about our young people? What about you young people? Would you commit yourself to serve God at least for one year? Now, I'm not talking about going to a college that has a Bible division to it and a Bible section. I'm talking about a Bible college where the whole thing is Bible. I was preaching at Bible college in North Carolina. And after chapel service, a young girl come up to me. And she looked at me and she said, Brother Susan, do you remember me? I really didn't. <laughs> you know, I said, I'm sorry, you have this disadvantage. She says, it's okay. She introduced herself to me and she told me what church she was from. And she said, three years ago, you preached at snow camp. And that night, particular night at snow camp, you gave the challenge for us to surrender our life one year to God and Bible college. And she says, I'm here because of that night when I surrendered to God. She looked down. Then she looked up with a big smile on her face and said, and I just changed my major to missions. Gave God a chance in her life. Now, God may not bring you to a whole four years. Maybe he'll go for you. You'll become an engineer or a nurse or whatever you uh, feel that and wherever God may, may bring you. But even if you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or a pilot, uh, when you're a Bible college, it's not going to hurt you, is it? Oh, it'll, it'll put me behind. One year of your life is not a whole lot to invest in God. And besides, if you are a doctor, you are a lawyer, or you are an airplane pilot, you are a nurse or whatever, a professor in, in the college, whatever you are, don't you want to serve God? Maybe in a Sunday school and you need some Bible college education to do that? Don't you want to know more about the scriptures and be better Christian in the church rather than just come and sit, absorb, and leave? We need to be content with God leading us in our life. And we need to be content with ourselves and accept God's will. And we need to accept others as well in our life. Jesus gave the illustration, says, no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, right? You know the song, what's that song the young people sing? This little light of mine, right? And you go with the finger, you know, this little light. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Did you hide it under a bushel? 
what? Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine until Jesus comes. So here's a man. He's in a swamp. Dark. Doesn't know where the solid land is. And the man on land has got a flashlight showing him the direction that he needs to make his way toward. And all of a sudden, the light goes out. What happens to that man? He's just hopeless. And when your light goes out, the men in the swamp and women in the swamp, boys and girls in the swamp of sin, have no light to go by. You owe it to God. You owe it to Jesus. And you owe it to your own testimony to let your light shine for, for Jesus. But you know what else we need this coming year? Cooperation. <laughs> Cooperation. Working. I, I, know, I don't know if you have committees. Or not. Some churches have all kinds. Of, I was in a church that had 22 committees. They had a committee for the flowers. They had a committee for cleaning. They had a committee to put water on the pulpit. I don't know why you need a committee for that. 22 committees. And do you know what the last committee was? The 22nd committee? It was the committee on committees. <laughs> Somebody once said a camel is a horse put together by a committee. And how true that is. We've got to co cooperate together. You know, I could take a piece of string and illustrate this for you. Put a piece, and I could take one end of that string, and I could pull it, and the whole thing would follow, wouldn't it? But if I try to push it, <laughs> it doesn't work. And cooperation is following the leadership that God gives to you. Several years ago, I was in a Ford factory. I was out in uh, Detroit. And we went to visit the Ford factory, manufacturing. We went through the blast furnaces and the steel and all, and all that. And there were all kinds of machines. Some were clanking. Some were banging. Some were grinding. I mean, all kinds of noise, all kinds of machines. But you know what? They were all working together to perform the product of an automobile. And if one machine went down, it affected the whole plant. And it's the same thing in our working together. Does not the scripture teach us that we are co-laborers? 1 Corinthians 4.9. We are co-laborers with Christ. We, co we work together in cooperation. Do we always get our way? No, but we cooperate. And we need this cooperation and to cooperate with God and his plan and with others uh, round, round about us. But you know, it's going on quickly tonight. i got a lot of points here, but you know what else we need? We need courage. We need courage today. Uh, you know, I looked at the lives of a lot of great preachers in the scriptures. Uh, I mean, and, and, and as I looked at those lives, you know, I said, what's the difference between John Wesley and Dan Souza? What's the difference between D.L. Moody and Dan Souza? What's the difference between Charles Finney and Dan Souza, Jonathan Edwards, or, or Sam Jones, or Billy Sunday and Dan Souza? What's the difference? And as I looked into their lives and I read about them in, in biographies, I find that these men were men of courage. And they were not fearful of men, but feared God above everything else. John Wesley wrote these words in his diary. I don't know how he, how he <laughs> forbear. Here is some of his diary, real quick. 
Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's Church, was asked not to come back anymore. Uh, Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's Church. Deacons had a meeting and kicked me out and told me to stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's Church. Can't go back. That night, I preached at St. George's Church. I was kicked out. May 19th in the morning, uh, uh, I preached at St. somebody else's church. <laughs> Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday night, I preached on the street. I was kicked off the street. May 26th, which happens to be my birthday, by the way, if you want to write that down. May, 20, <laughs> May 26th in the morning, uh, I, I preached in the meadow. Had 100 people gather. Someone turned a bull loose in the service. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, was kicked off the highway. Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, I preached in the pastor and a thousand people came to hear me. He didn't quit. He had courage. What's it, what would it take for you to quit? Hmm? What would it take for you to quit? You know, some people quit so easily on everything. They took courage. And in Acts 28, verse 15, the Bible says they took courage in the face of opposition, in the face of the, How much courage do you have for God? We could certainly see the courage of the world, can't we? We see the protests and the signs and everything. They have courage. Where's yours? Where's mine? Where's our courage for, for the Lord. We have like a lot of what I call snowflake Christians. So sensitive. If the preacher preaches on money, oh, he's preaching on money again. That's all that you're preaching on money again. Just They just melt away and have a meltdown. And it's okay, I guess, if the preacher preaches against somebody else's sin. <laughs> That's good preaching. But when he preaches against yours, all of a sudden, folks get offended, don't they? But I thank God for preachers that aren't afraid to preach the truth and don't look out at the crowd to see who's there before they decide what they're going to preach. Pastor Shot reminded you and reminded me many times. He's told this story. Remember a tent meeting you had back in the old building? The tent was on the hill there on the side of the building. You remember that? Anybody, anybody here been at those tent meetings? Oh, God bless you. Oh, yeah, amen. And uh, remember the tent meeting that the, the mayor came? Remember that? The mirror Torrington came. And uh, <laughs> Brother Schott said, I don't remember this, but he, he said, I had preached one of the hottest sermons on hell that he had ever heard. And there's the mayor. It would have been, I didn't know she was the mayor. I just figured she's like anyone else. Somebody needed to get saved. Amen. But God helped a preacher that looks out at the crowd and says, Oh, I better not preach on this because so-and-so is going to be offended. Listen, folks, you don't want a preacher like that. You don't want a wishy-washy preacher. You don't want a preacher that preaches to the crowd, but one that will tell you the truth in love from the Word of God. And I'm glad you have one like that. And I'm honored to stand in his pulpit tonight and the confidence that he has in me to be here in his absence.
courage to make sacrifices. Somebody told the missionary one time, he says, oh, you made so many sacrifices to go to Africa or so many sacrifices to go to Asia or so many sacrifices. I admire the sacrifices you made. And the missionary says, I don't feel like I sacrificed anything. As a matter of fact, I received blessings and the courage he had to go on and serve God. Jesus sacrificed his life for folks to stay home Sunday night to watch TV. Jesus shed his blood for folks that had no concern to come for the midweek service. Jesus suffered in agony for folks that come and go if there's nothing more convenient to do. I think it's enough to break an angel's heart tonight. But it's courage that he had to do the will of God in his life. And now I stop and think something else about what made these men great. All of these men also believed. And you're going to say, oh, I believe in that too. Well, hear me out. All of these men believed in a real hell. I'm talking about fire. I'm talking about heat. I'm talking about brimstone tonight. People say, oh, I believe in hell. Why don't we witness to get people out of it? If you really believed in it. It was made mention about a little track that I wrote. It's not plain. I mean, it's plain. It's not fancy. Doesn't sneak up on you in any, I mean, five facts, boom, 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 boom. That's what they are. You live, you die, you meet God. That's it. <laughs> this actually, and there's five points here. This actually is the outline of the first sermon I preached as an evangelist. Preaching of evangelists is that of a, different than that of a pastor. And that night, I asked God to confirm my calling. I left the church, turned away the salary, housing allowance, car allowance, the love of the people. I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. Some folks were kind and dropped off some food at our, at our doorstep. I said, God, how am I going to live? I have four boys. How, how, how am I going to feed them? I got a wife I promised to take care of. God, how am I? God says, you take care of my business and I'll take care of you. So, and I left all that behind. Didn't know where money's going. I still don't know where it comes from. <laughs> if I don't preach in the church, I don't get an income that week. One day my... Well, we do get support from a few churches as missions because they recognize I preach in a lot of small churches that really can't compensate as they would like to. And so I have some churches support me as missions that help me and in, in that regard. And uh, one week, my wife come to me and she said, uh, you know, honey, our income this week, one church has sent a check for $25. That's all our income for the week. Uh, I says, well, I feel really bad about tithing two dollars and fifty cents. 
I said, I can't put a check. So I said, you know, we're going to tithe in advance. We're going to put it and trust God to do that. I needed confirmation from God that night that God had called me to this ministry. And I had preached. There's the outline right in this little track. There's the outline. I had preached this outline. And that Sunday night, 22 people got saved. They lined up the whole front of the auditorium, bowed the knee to Jesus, and were born again. Because there is a hell, folks. And if your husband's not saved, that's where they're going to go. And your wife's not saved, that's where they're going to go. And your mother and father not saved, that's where they're going to go. And brothers and sisters not saved, that's where they're going to go. Do you really believe in it? Atheists told me one time, see, you Christians are a bunch of fake and phonies. I said, yeah, there's probably a lot of those out there. He says, if you really believed in hell like you say you do, and if hell is really what you say it is, you'd be pleading with people to get saved. You would pass out tracts, and you would leave them, and you don't, you don't know who gets saved by a tract that you leave behind. Anybody ever hear the name Wally Beebe? Who is it? Anybody hear that name? Wally Beebe? Pastor Matt? Oh, by the way, I've got to be good tonight. My pastor's here, so... <laughs> Wally Beebe is known, had been known for a long time as Mr. Bus. And he worked at the bus ministry at First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana for many, many years. And they had hundreds of buses. They had more buses than Chicago had cars. I mean, they went all over. With the, and he headed all of that up. You know how he got saved? Somebody left a track in the men's room. Just left it somewhere. He picked it up, read it, and said, that's what I need, Jesus. Save me. And he got saved. Now, you'll never know where you leave them, where that ends up. I know men that had gotten saved, that people have written them letters and companies or whatever, and put a gospel track in it. Now, if you still pay some bills by mail, I know a lot of us pay it electronically and online, but if you still pay your bill by mail, put a gospel track in Hey, it's not going to cost any more in postage to send it back. And somebody's got to open that envelope. As much as we're in the digital age, somebody's got to open that envelope and take that check out. Guess what's going to be in there? The gospel track. I used to, I don't on this now because I wanted room on the bottom for churches if they wanted to stamp their name because I don't need credit for this. And to stamp their name so somebody gets saved, they can contact that church. But I used to have my name and address on the back. And somebody wrote me a letter. And she said, I work, I forgot the name of the company. She, was, uh, she worked in mail order for filling vacuum cleaner bags. People would order vacuum cleaner bags. And uh, she'd fill the order and uh, send them out. She says, uh, somebody sent an order in uh, for vacuum. And I saw this little booklet in there. Uh, she says, uh, I got saved, and would you send me 10 more for other people that are in the office? You see, folks, it pays to witness. It pays to care. What made these men great? They believed in a real hell. You know what else we need today? We're closing up here. We need consecration. To be consecrated to God. You know what consecration is? Focused. Focused. 
Our attention span is so short today. We're thinking this, then our mind shoots up. Even in this service tonight, you might have found your mind wandering. Just like you didn't mean to, but all of a sudden you're just wandering, and then, oh, you come back. You say, we need to be focused on God. We need to be focused on seeking the kingdom of heaven first. And First Chronicles, if you turn there, First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles, 29th chapter. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to say something tonight that might offend somebody. I don't say it to offend you, please. Uh, you know that. But I just want to say, this is the Bible. Am I right? This is what? The Bible. What is it? This is not the Bible. What is this? Phone. What's this? Bible. Phone. I could take the youngest child that might be in the youngest grade, Sunday school grade here, put these two articles on a table and says, which one's the Bible? And they'll know. Oh, well, I got the Bible on my phone. Yeah, that's not the Bible. It's the Bible on your phone. But it's not the Bible. When you're looking at that in church, and I haven't seen anybody do that here tonight, and so I could feel pretty safe in saying, if you're doing it, you hit it from me pretty good because I could usually spot that. So, and, 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 and they're looking at Nobody else knows what you're doing. And so you're looking at the Bible, and then all of a sudden, oh, you get a, a message. Do you say, oh, no, I'm in church, and I'm going to ignore that? No, you say, I wonder what that was. Now you left the Bible to go to the message that came in. You see, we need to be focused on certain things tonight. I'm off. I got, the, I, got, I got three Bible apps on here. But I'll never. I have three Bible apps on my phone. I have a, a, a tablet that I preach from so I can see my notes in big letters. <laughs> see, uh, here, But I never read the Bible from my tablet in the church service to the congregation. It is always the word of God. And that says something. So you're sitting in McDonald's and you're reading the Bible. Good, I'm glad. On your phone. Nobody knows that. But I'll guarantee you, if you've got one of these in your hand, folks are going to notice it. Folks are going to see it. And they're going to say, what's he doing with that Bible? My wife and I often stop when we travel in the Garden State Parkway. And if you go down, ever go down that way, the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey, the first rest area you come to after you go across the uh, Tappan Zee Bridge and into New Jersey, there's a rest area there. How many times, honey, we go in there, and there was a man sitting there uh, at one of the tables in the uh, food court, and he's got his Bible open. And he's got a tab, and he's right, you know, it's a Bible open. I go to him every time I said, brother, that's a good book. We sit down, we fellowship. He's a Christian. We fellowship for a little bit. He prayed for our meetings that we were going to. You see, that says something, doesn't it? Well, I like the phone where I can cross-reference and do study. That's your Bible study. That's not, you don't do Bible study during church service. Do that another time. But we need to be focused on God. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 2. Now, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold, for things made of gold, 
and the silver for things made of silver, the brass for things made of brass, and iron for things made of iron, and wood for things made of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of divers colors, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set mine affection to the house. Now, I notice in verse number two, it says he prepared with all his might. In verse number three, he set his affection to the house of my God. And I have in my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. Over and above all that they have prepared for the holy house. Well, others gave offerings, and that's wonderful. And others gave, uh, David says, I gave him my own money also because my heart was in it. You'll always provide for those that you love. And if you love the church, you provide for it and give to it. And he goes on and he says here in verse 4, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Orpha, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house worth all, the gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of uh, the artifacts and those who those then is willing, notice, who then is willing, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord. And who tonight in this service be willing to consecrate yourself to the work of God, to be focused his heart I prepared with all my might, verse 2. And he says, I, verse 3, I set my affection on this. We need focus. Who then is willing to consecrate themselves to God? Have a focus for God. Well, last thing and we're done. What else do we need? We need cleansing as well. This whole world's dirty. When Jesus knelt that day and wiped the disciples' feet, what was he showing? And I love old Peter. He gets everything wrong. <laughs> you know? Peter is just a person of zoom, zoom. I mean, back and forth, you know. <laughs> On the mountain, hey, God, is Jesus, good we're up here, man. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for us, one for Elias. Where's that? Peter, Peter, no, no, no. The ministry's down in the valley. That's where we minister, not up here on the mountaintop. Then Jesus goes to wash the disciples' feet. What did Peter say? Oh, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Uh-uh. Yeah. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you won't have any part of me. Then what did, Jesus, uh, what did Peter do? He goes to the other extreme. Oh, oh, in that case, Lord, don't just do my feet. Wash all of me. You wanted a bath. <laughs> now, what was the, he said, you're clean, but not all. In other words, you get saved. Aren't you glad you get washed away, washed in sin, washed away? Your sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad you're cleansed when you're saved and your sins are rolled away, they're washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, but what happens? Mm. We sin. 
after we're saved? Well, I got to get saved all over again. That's what some people think. And some people actually teach that. I got to get saved again. I got to get saved. I got to get saved again and get baptized again. No. Jesus said, no, you don't need a full cleansing, but your feet are dirty. You just need that cleansing from walking in a world of dirtiness, walking in a world of impurity. Now, God would put up with a lot, but there's two things that God does not really like in a Christian. One is a divided heart. Jesus said, man, you can't serve God and mammon. You're going to make up your mind. When I married my wife, I made up my mind. She's going to be the only woman in my life. I don't have a divided heart. I don't say, honey, I'll spend six months with you and six months with another wife. No, you got me 12 months a year. She's smiling, by the way. <laughs> Why? Because a divided heart. Honey, I, I love you almost as much as somebody else. That day at the altar when the preacher says to me first and then to her to forsake all others and cleave only unto her. What if I said, well, 95% of the others, not 100%. Yeah, wouldn't work, would it? Can't have a divided heart can't work and you can't have a divided heart with God tonight you have to be consecrated to God the second thing that God will not put up with is an unclean heart God can't use it we get dirty in this world honey would you come to the piano please we get dirty in this old world don't we we need a cleansing some people do not understand the altar call. And there are some wives never saw their husband at an altar. There are some husbands never saw their wife at an altar. They never come, they've not come together at an altar to consecrate this year to God or a matter in their life. Folks don't understand the altar call. It's not brownie points for the preacher. Would you understand that? I don't measure whether I felt I've done my best for God, but how many are at the altar? I don't do that. One comes, fine. Two come, fine. fine. I don't even know many times. I don't pay attention. I don't count them up. But it's a time when we can kneel before God and if you can't kneel, I fully understand that to come and to stand or even to sit in the front row and there make an altar before God and say, Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Why don't you look at me as if there's nothing in your life that doesn't need to be forgiven or cleansed tonight because we all know that we need a cleansing tonight. And would you stand, please? As God would lead you to this altar tonight, how many would come to this altar tonight and just say, God, uh, I, I want confidence in you. And God, I want cooperation in the work of God. And God, I want to be content. And God, I want to have courage. And God, I want to have a focus, a consecration on you, God. Because in times like these, we need Jesus. And that's right, folks. God bless you.
We'll start the new year right. Let's start the new year at the altar of God. And start the new year I say, God, this is what I need in my life. I need confidence. I need cooperation. I need contempt. I need courage. I need consecration and focus. And all that you need, God can give to you if you are willing to be focused upon him and sat consecrated unto his will. Father and God, I'm, I'm guilty. I've been touched, Lord, by the word of God. I just did not preach it to others, Lord. God, you preached this to me. In preparation for this service tonight, God, you beat me over the coals with this message, and I've seen my own shortcomings. And God, I, I, I want 2020 to be a whole different year. And starting tonight, dear God, to go forth with new vision and new confidence and new courage and new cooperation, Lord, and new vision and new focus tonight. And Lord, with my brothers and sisters at this altar, we yield. We yield to you, Lord, that in times like these, we have an anchor that grips the solid rock of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Our anchor holds tonight. Our anchor holds. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen? Yes, and amen.